leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. Oklahoma, and someone might think of wheat fields, natural gas, or the wind sweeping down the plain. Cutting-edge biomedical research, though, is probably not the first thing that comes to mind. Nevertheless, the Oklahoma Medical Research Foundation has for more than 70 years been conducting innovative scientific work that has forged new understandings of disease and made discoveries that have led to new drugs and diagnostics. We spoke to Manu Nair, Vice President of Technology Ventures for OMRF, about the work it does, its efforts to commercialize its discoveries, and the challenges of getting on industry's radar when you're outside of a major biotech center. Manu, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, Appreciate your time and glad to be here. We're going to talk about the Oklahoma Medical Research Foundation, the work it does, and your efforts to expand its work with industry. Before we talk about the foundation, though, I'd like to begin with you. As I understand it, before you were involved in tech transfer, you were a divorce lawyer in India. What was that like? (laughs) Yeah, you know, uh, that's actually a long time ago, and it's a time probably I want to forget. But, you know, uh, I used to, uh, I did my law degree back in India, and I practiced as a, as a divorce lawyer, actually a family lawyer, uh, for approximately a year and quickly realized that I actually was not, not cut out for that kind of a work because of the fact that you have to basically listen to the worst of, of people for the whole day, right? So, you know, uh, I came to the United States uh, to study first and then I did my MBA uh, from Lamar University in Texas and then I got a scholarship to go do an advanced degree in law in uh, the Franklin Pierce Law Center, which is the University of New Hampshire Law School, uh, and I finished there with a specialty in intellectual property and technology uh, laws, and got attracted to technology commercialization uh, and its aspects because of uh, my interaction with uh, Kevin Hershey, who used to be the chief intellectual property counsel for MIT, who taught a course in uh, University of New Hampshire. So came to work here in uh, Wamarth in Oklahoma City in 2004, worked here for just over five years, and I was, uh, you know, lucky to basically uh, go and work after that at the the world-famous Mayo Clinic, at the Mayo Clinic uh, Ventures, which is basically their intellectual property and technology transfer and investment arm of Mayo Clinic uh, on on cutting-edge technology development, and I... um, 
I worked there for you know uh, several years, uh, moved up the ranks, and I was also involved in strategic business development and uh, several things, including a uh, was was a part of uh, the, the investment decision making with regards to technology uh, development and commercialization. Then uh, came back here in OMRF in 2014, was recruited back to lead the technology ventures of OMRF, and it's a great place. OMRF is a great place to uh, for technologies and research, and 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 so I. I, I strongly believe that I could make a difference. Came back here, Dr. Steve Prescott, who is the uh, the president of uh, OMRF, actually uh, was very supportive of restructuring and creating a very aggressive technology commercialization operation here. And I've been here since then. And so we now do, for lack of a better term, now the OMRF Technology Ventures is actually a one-stop shop for all industry-related activities of the Oklahoma Medical Research Foundation that relates to uh, technology development and commercialization for the benefit of patients and also to advance the science. So that's what we do. And we actually have a, uh, a, a supporting system, an ecosystem here that actually is involved with, uh, you know, uh, not only just technology licensing spin-off companies, also, you know, uh, a, a, a seed capital fund that can help advance technologies to a point where you can actually either spin it off or license it, and also a strategically aligned investment fund within Oklahoma City that actually is uh, very, very valuable with regards to uh, bringing outside investment into our startup companies. I think it's fair to say that Oklahoma is not the first place that comes to mind for most people when they think of cutting-edge biomedical research. Many of our listeners may not be familiar with Oklahoma Medical Research Foundation. It, it's actually been around since 1946 and has a, a remarkable history. How was it initially established and funded? So it's a very interesting question, and uh, it, there are two parts to that question that you basically asked. One is, uh, you know, how was it formed and what has it done, right? So. Uh, we were created in 1946 with the philanthropy of Oklahoma. A group of, uh, of civic leaders and physicians came together and wanted to have a cutting-edge uh, technology the, uh, research and uh, in a foundation here in Oklahoma City. And it was actually, um, you know, uh, a great uh, vision for a, a time in a part of a country that was actually not. Of course, you know, not, you know, uh, at, at, was it not at the leading uh, cutting edge of scientific research? And OMRF has been formed with the support of Oklahomans through philanthropy money. And then we quickly developed and focused into, uh, focused in a, in a certain area which is called autoimmunity because, you know, lupus was one of our initial indications of uh, interest because we were very focused on immunology and in the beginning. And then we, we grew into one of the national centers of excellence, uh, you know, designated uh, based on NIH classification, and we are now one of the national centers of excellence for autoimmune research and, uh, you know, clinical and, and basic research. And we also focus on three other major areas. One is actually cardiovascular biology and coagulation, again, focused very much on uh, blood disorders and vascular leakage, uh, you know, sickle cell anemia, hemophilia, sepsis, things like that. And, uh, you know, um, and also we focus on oncology 
again, you know, uh, you know, certain specific aspects of oncology like functional genomics and uh, uh, epigenetics. And we work very closely with the Stevenson Cancer Center, which is a NCI-designated cancer center across the street run by the University of Oklahoma. We closely work with them. And finally, in aging and metabolism, which is, again, very much focused on certain specific areas of aging. Could be any disease, but we study, uh, you know, uh, one of our focuses of study is actually mitochondrial dysfunction and, uh, you know, uh, and, and basically, which is the energy powerhouse of, uh, of, of the cell. So... Uh, those are the, the, the areas of research. We, as you rightly pointed out, you know, uh, when I, one of my biggest problems when I start talking to, uh, you, know, uh, you know, leaders in the business area of biotech is the anonymity of what uh, Oklahoma has created and has achieved, especially OMRF. And, uh, and, and a lot of times when I ask them, they say, Oklahoma, you know, we, have, we don't know anything that has come out of OMRF. And then suddenly I turn around and ask a few questions regarding, have you heard of a company called Alexion Pharmaceuticals? And then suddenly people basically uh, pay attention because Alexion is the poster child of uh, orphan rare disease drug development. And interestingly, it was a spin-off company that was created based on OMRF technologies. I believe the drug Solaris was discovered at OMRF, isn't that right? That is right. It was actually discovered at OMRF, and the, the, the company went to uh, Connecticut because the entrepreneurs were from Connecticut and uh, became a Connecticut-based company. And uh, guess what? You know, uh, you uh, we had success. We had, uh, we had all the goals achieved with regards to technology commercialization, but, you know, it, is, it, it creates a certain amount of anonymity when you are not having the company located in Oklahoma. Take another example. There are two drugs in, uh, in, in the market, uh, you know, actually that came to market. One is Zygris, licensed to Eli Lilly, first sepsis drug. C-protein that was licensed to Baxter, which is for natural protein C deficiency. Both of those were OMRF technologies developed by Dr. Charles Esmond of OMRF, which is actually uh, fantastic because, you know, uh, you, can't, you can't basically say that about a lot of institutions of our size that we have, you know, three drugs, including Solaris, in the market uh, based on our research because drug development is such a, is such a difficult business. And, uh, you know, and, and we had a company that we had formed, uh, you know, called Crescendo Biosciences that actually uh, uh, developed a test called Vector DA that came out uh, in the market and that company was sold to Myriad Genetics. This test is still in the market for rheumatoid arthritis patient management. And that, that, that was a OMRF spinoff technology license from OMRF, and, uh, you know, it went to San Francisco, so it became a San Francisco company. So to answer your question, yes, OMRF has actually achieved a lot, great, you know, research institution with people like, for example, Charles Esmond, Dr. Rod McKeever, who are the, 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 the biggest names in their own respective fields, and we have achieved a lot with regards to technology commercialization with three drugs that actually hit the market with companies like Alexion, Crescendo, and, you know, uh, recently a company called, you know, Selexis that was sold to Novartis, uh, you know, that, that was based on the, uh, the research of our vice president of research, Dr. Rodney Kieber. So uh, all of this is there, but there is a certain amount of anonymity that is because of the fact that they are not located in Oklahoma. They actually, uh, and, and people do not realize it came from here. 
So one of my primary goals when I uh, when I do uh, you know uh, discuss technology commercialization with folks is to create that awareness and try to talk about and and do the public relations with regards to letting people know. Look at uh, in Oklahoma, you don't know what has come out of here, but when you know, you'll be truly surprised. I'm curious how it compares culturally to say a research center in Boston or San Francisco. Do you think there's anything qualitatively different as a result of being in Oklahoma? The qualitative difference, there are a couple of things that I can actually say. See, there is a ecosystem in a place like Boston. Boston is unique. Okay, I can I can I can say that even San Francisco is not Boston with regards to biotech. And I was interestingly at one of uh, at a at a program that was actually organized by some major venture capital groups called S2S, uh, Science to Startup, I believe, a few months ago. And there was exactly that uh, discussion at the that that event where Boston, how Boston is actually so uh, different from rest of the uh, rest of the country. The key difference is there are so you know there is there is an ecosystem, a cluster that consists of world class universities and the talent that comes out of it, you know, and because it's a it's a major city with a population and and that that actually is there, uh, you know, coming to go to one of the, 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 the most probably the biggest universities in in the world, you know, and then that feeds in itself other things like you know then that brings capital uh, to the city because you can find the talent to basically work for uh, spin-off companies and then that creates a certain amount of entrepreneurial uh, you know appetite uh, in in and when you have a a city that is vibrant in all of those plus a certain amount of youth i would rather say associated with the universities that's that's something that happens in in a city like boston but uh, you know, uh, in Oklahoma, of course, it's a smaller city. It is actually not traditionally a city that uh, is is uh, biotech geared, and it is an oil and gas economy to begin with, and now the second largest, uh, you know, uh, employment uh, and 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 sector is, I would rather say, is aviation, which city has actually diversified state has diversified into and now diversifying into uh, biotech but we do find that we have miles to go before we can actually get the the talent pool and the employment pool to basically create biotech companies and sustain them in the state for a long period of time because you know what uh, we do not have the kind of population uh, that we would basically have in a place like Boston and the long-term capital that we basically require. Like if you go to Boston, you have Atlas Ventures or uh, 5 AM Ventures putting 20, 30, 40 million dollars into companies in a series A round. And uh, you can't find that kind of money in a place like, uh, you know, Oklahoma. And forget about, you know, um, forget where we are. But in any part of, uh, of of the country, if you look from uh, outside Boston and, and San Francisco, probably you can't find that kind of a of of capital resources for the long haul. So, to answer your question, yes, there is a there is a difference. It is not the uh, it's not a cultural difference with regards to not having the desire to basically create these, but the ecosystem is not ripe enough to basically have a self-sustaining uh, you know you know biotech 
uh, you know, environment like Boston, and you can't compare that at this point of time. But we hope that it will change because more and more, with more and more technologies and people, you know, uh, getting involved in these things. But it will be a long way before we can even think about competing with Boston. I thought we could take a little bit of a deeper dive into the autoimmunity area and talk about the work you're doing around lupus. For people not familiar with the condition, what is lupus? So lupus is a, uh, you know, is a very devastating disease. It is actually one of those autoimmune diseases, and for people who do not understand what an autoimmune disease means, it is, the, it is a disease condition where your own immune system that is supposed to attack foreign elements that, like, for example, bacteria, pathogens, thinks that your own body is its enemy and starts attacking its organs or attacking, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, attacking itself. So what happens is that you have this hyperinflammatory conditions that create, uh, you know, organ damage, and you, uh, if, if you know, if, if you actually have a lupus flare, which we call a hyper lupus situation, you feel like being hit by a truck. It's like, uh, you know, uh, if you feel like a flu is actually creating a tiredness, you imagine many, many, many fold of that in a patient who is having a significant immune attack uh, on his body. So that is a, and, and there are other, uh, you know, uh, conditions associated with lupus, but lupus is actually hyperinflammatory autoimmune disease. And what happens is that it is not a, unlike rheumatoid arthritis, where, you know, you actually have significantly older population getting affected by rheumatoid arthritis where you actually have bone degeneration. Lupus is actually a young person's disease. You know, uh, usually, uh, you know, and it's predominantly, uh, you know, biased towards women and uh, minorities, uh, for lack of better understanding. And uh, women... Uh, or 17, this, this, this disease usually actually hits women at the age of 17. And it actually has a long, uh, you know, uh, uh, impact on their lives, their ability to uh, live a normal life and uh, bear children. And by the time some of these patients get to 40 years of age, you basically have kidney damage and other organ damage. So it's a very bad disease indication and uh, to, to live with. And we were one of the first places to basically get into lupus research. And Dr. Mo Reichlin, unfortunately, uh, you know, uh, it's it's a sad week for us because Dr. Reichlin passed away, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and that was announced this week. And Dr. Mo Reichlin was one of the big pioneers in the space of lupus diagnosis-based research. And for because of his if efforts, the one of the the, the the major tests in the in the or important test which is called ANA test which has been consolidated and put into a what you call a um, uh, an appropriate uh, you know diagnosis still actually not the best diagnosis test is called Reichlin profile because Dr. Reichlin was instrumental in bringing all these different biomarkers into a test that can actually uh, be administered for patients. So we have also a large uh, autoimmune group, uh, you know, and out of which, you know, Dr. Judith James is the, uh, the, the chair of our autoimmune research group, and she is one of the thought leaders in the space and uh, highly widely recognized. And, uh, you know, and, and another person who is actually... Uh, 
uh, a big name in the space is Dr. Joan Merrill, who is one of our, uh, you know, employees. Uh, Joan was actually the, uh, the the medical director for Lupus Foundation of America. So uh, OMRF has got a very strong presence in understanding the disease, researching the genetic as well as the uh, protein, you know, uh, angles of what causes the disease and, uh, and, and causes disease progression. We are also trying to find if there are addressable tar targets to treat the disease. We are one of the largest biorepositories of patient samples collected over many years of lupus patients that actually help us do very strong research on understanding the, the disease progression. And we have, uh, you know, uh, we are a part of most of the uh, the major uh, you know clinical studies that are conducted in lupus uh, you know treatment by major pharmaceutical companies or investigator initiated trials that are that take place and we are uh, you know we are always looking for finding solutions for lupus care so that's that's what's happening here in in uh, uh, MRF and we now because I, I, we just actually talked about crescendo biosciences in the beginning of the, of the discussion. Uh, we are trying to do something very similar for lupus patients uh, in, in, in what, what crescendo did for rheumatoid arthritis patients. Lupus patients do not, as, you, as I told you, have a good diagnosis or prognosis tool to understand uh, on an evidence-based uh, mechanism whether they are whether they have lupus, because a lot of times, you know, they get bumped around different doctors before they get to the right place and get diagnosed that they have lupus. Right now, lupus is diagnosed primarily based on an old test that is not very effective. And then, you know, uh, looking at some of the, um, uh, you know, objective measures like, you know, uh, skin, uh, you know, a, a, a skin pigmentation and there are se several scoring mechanisms that, that depends strictly on a doctor's judgment. And what we are trying to do is to develop a very sophisticated, highly sensitive, highly specific biomarker-based, uh, you know, test for early diagnosis of lupus. And we have another test that we are developing, which is basically uh, for predicting whether a patient is going to have a lupus flare within the, you know, two to, uh, two to three months because, you know, uh, these patients go without any symptoms and, you know, basically go on a flat trajectory with regards to disease and suddenly they have a immune, hyperimmune response called lupus flare and they, it feels like basically getting hit by a truck and they end up going to ICU, uh, you know, and the more flares that you have, the more chances of you getting severe organ damage downstream. And then finally, they, you know, we are also developing a test that actually is looking at the uh, disease activity levels of the patient, monitor that to make sure that the disease activity is under control. And that can also tell whether these drugs that are being administered to these patients are working, whether the disease is actually being under control. All of this is being developed now under the premise of a new spin-off company that we created called Progentech Diagnostics. The three, it's a platform, the, the idea is to develop a, a company that actually provides complete lupus diagnosis, prognosis, and treatments, treatment management solutions for lupus patients. And we basically have now 
you know, completed a pre-Series A financing or Progen Tech has completed a pre-Series A financing uh, uh, that is publicly announced uh, with, with, with Mayo Clinic uh, and OCA Ventures out of Chicago and I2E Ventures uh, out of Oklahoma City putting putting together a funding of $1.25 million and they are basically moving forward with the development and making huge progress in that particular, uh, you know, uh, effort, in my opinion. As a deal maker, how much of a challenge is geography? How difficult is it for OMRF to get on the radar of potential industry partners? So that is actually one of the key challenges because it is like out of sight, out of mind, right? You know, because when you have lots of uh, investors uh, in the east and west coast chasing everything in a hundred mile uh, radius and they have enough to basically look at it is important that we put ourselves out there telling the story so one of the biggest focuses of my department is business development so we travel to i send my people travel to uh, you know different parts of the country and be there at the key places where investors and entrepreneurs come in and even companies uh, you know, come in like the bio conference that we were at, or the uh, like I told you the S2S conference or JP Morgan Chase conference. We try to basically set the meetings up. We meet with people. We tell the story, and more and more. When I started here in 2014, I you know I had to basically introduce OMRF every single time I meet up. You know, a new person now. It has come to a point where OMRF has actually become a more known commodity because of our efforts that people, by word of mouth, saying, hey, you should look at this place. You know, uh, you know I've heard it, about it. I basically uh, I talked to this person. Seems like a great place, you know, that we do not know of. And that is an important component of our business. And to that effect, seeing is believing. So what I've actually done is every two years, we organize a event called the OMRF BioVenture Forum, which is bringing 40 people from industry, from you know investment groups, decision makers into Oklahoma City, spend a day at OMRF with panel discussions, you know, uh, presentation, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, basically tour of the facilities. And they then are hosted, last two times we did it, they were hosted by the governor at her mansion for a reception, and then we uh, we actually provide them with uh, a view of the of Oklahoma City, of course, thanks to, uh, uh, to Oklahoma City Thunder, they got to see an NBA basketball game. So, you know, uh, we actually do this to show not just to MRF, but also the ecosystem here that exists, which is basically a very cosmopolitan city, and the participation of the people here in the true interest of developing science and technology-based, uh, you know, uh, ecosystem by the participation of a lot of stakeholders, like you know, uh, stakeholders who are who are either. Uh, you know, city officials or, you know, uh, city you know, community leaders and, you know, uh, folks like that. So uh, we have done that. And all of these combined multi-pronged effort has now created a situation where I, I get, uh, you know, folks calling me saying that, hey, you know, uh, I was told by XYZ of uh, such and such place that, you know, he came to MRF saw and saw what you ha- actually have here or heard from you about what you have accomplished. Guess what? We would like to talk about what we can do together. 
and that is happening that has significantly improved our capabilities to do business so with with key uh, folks in the east and west coast who are investors or companies or or entrepreneurs and Progen Tech, for example, uh, we recruited, uh, you know, the, the management team from the uh, the East Coast. The management, uh, the CEO, is actually a pricing and reimbursement stra- you know, expert who used to work for Roche and uh, and is one of the uh, uh, leading pricing reimbursement consultants now for big pharmaceutical and other groups. And he was brought to this opportunity because pricing and reimbursement and economic modeling is such an important uh, thing for diagnostic business. So, and we recruited that person from the East Coast, and guess what? That that made a huge huge difference and builds investor confidence, and now we are being able to do business. Do you think there's a bargain for assets because there's simply less competition for them? You know what? That is that is true, but you know what? That you know the more that you basically. Uh, 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 yeah, you know everybody goes shopping in Harvard, right? You know, uh, you know, and then you you tend to basically uh, uh, have too much of competition. But having said that, the quality of of your technologies always I can only do so much with regards to publicity, right? And uh, the moment that somebody comes who's sophisticated comes and looks at your technology, if there is no quality associated with the opportunity, nobody's going to take it or run with it or put their money behind it. The fact that every single time we pair technologies with people and bring our assets to them, that they seem to basically like it, take it and run with it, shows how how high-end the quality of the technologies are. And you have to understand that this institution hosts the doctor, for example, in, in, in coagulation biology, one of the biggest names is Dr. Charles Esmond, who actually is a, a, was a Howard Hughes-funded scientist, National Academy of Sciences member, distinguished a scientist uh, you know, uh, award uh, you know, granted by American Heart. Uh, you know, this person is actually is the person who has two drugs in the market, and already licensed to two uh, different companies. We have got a, a, a deal with GlaxoSmithKline, which is called the Discovery Partnerships with Academia, or Discovery uh, you know, Partnership DPAC. It's called Discovery Partnership for Academia. And that particular program is actually a very selective program. I believe there are 13 around the, around the world and very few around uh, around the United States, and we are one of those sites, and it's his technology. And, uh, you know, uh, we actually have just concluded a agreement, a strategic deal with a very large pharmaceutical company called Shanghai Ross Blood Products, which is a $14 billion or $15 billion company in China, and the first deal in in the United States. And we this was actually, again, Dr. Charles Esmond. So what I'm saying is that, you know, we have... We have, like, you know, just I'm just citing example of one scientist. We actually have a, people like that in this institution who basically are the top notch in their space. And how many scientists can you basically find who have two drugs in the market, two in the pipeline, and the third one basically, uh, uh, in uh, you know, uh, right now we are trying to find a commercialization partner. And, you know, and... Take Dr. Rod McKeever. I gave you the example. He has got one drug 
that was sold through the company Selexis that you know, was started in Oklahoma City to Novartis for $667 million. And uh, then, uh, you know, the second company based on this technology just now raised $50 million in, uh, in uh, financing. And, uh, you know, there was another company that we started, which is actually moving one of his, uh, you know, technologies that he founded with or discovered with Dr. Legion Shaw, called, the company is called Targazyme, that is basically having a, a just completed phase two, tech, you know, you know uh, in a clinical trial on that, that technology at MD Anderson Cancer Center. So we've got all these scientific, uh, you know, minds here, and that really is the reason for the success, I would say. You can only bring uh, the, 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 the name to the institution, and once once that happens, uh, you know, like the, the investors or, uh, you know, uh, entrepreneurs or companies, once they come in, it all is decided based on quality. So uh, I think, you know, uh, that, that, that that's, that's probably a, one of our, or our major strength is the quality of our science. Manu Nair, Vice President of Technology Ventures for the Oklahoma Medical Research Foundation. Manu, thanks for your time today. Thank you, Danny. Appreciate it, and uh, always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.